Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It is Sunday morning on WFAN. Good morning, everybody. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. And Ed Randall will be by talking baseball after our 9 o'clock update on the fan this Sunday morning. Always interesting seeing Ed and sharing in some of his musings. Some of the more interesting things, I shouldn't say this, but I will. Some of the more interesting things that Ed has to say actually never make it to the ear. There's a whole interaction that goes on before he goes on the air that, um, let's just say I wish I could share all of that with you. Trust me, I wish I could. And then again, I may have come up with a way to do that, too. Hmm. Now, what could he mean by that? More on that at a later time. Well, in this hour of our program, we shift into a discussion. And thank you to the folks who joined us in the uh, open phones in the first hour of our uh, program this morning. As was uh, noted by um, one of the people commenting on um, Facebook, uh, actually, about the fact that there's a very intelligent uh, listening audience uh, with this program on Sunday mornings. And I'm very proud to have had the thoughts shared by the folks who listened to our program and stated in the eloquent fashion that they were. Our topic this hour of our program, I'm going to say two words that will give a direction as to where we're going. And I say these two words, and I'm curious as to what image, what thoughts come to mind on the part of people listening to us. Ready for the two words? Parental alienation. Now, some of you are going, huh? What? What's he talking about? What does that mean? Well, you will find out. We are moving into a discussion with Kelly Jones on our program. Kelly um, has experienced parental alienation firsthand and is going to share with us in the course of uh, this hour of our program First of all, it's nice to have you join us on our program. Good morning, Kelly. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. A lot of things to get to in this discussion. Those two words, parental alienation, how do you explain what this is all about? Uh, Well, parental alienation is what happens, um, and frequently it happens in high-conflict divorce or high-dollar divorce, when one parent feeds the children toxic messages and brainwashes them against the other parent. Um, what's interesting in my case, of course, is that I divorced 
uh, another a talk show host, right, Alex Jones. And so in my case, um, I believe that the jury's verdict really was a verdict that alienation did happen. And there's many aspects to it. We can- this topic, when you talk about this topic, your personal experience with this, um, is this something that you often share, that you like sharing, or are you reticent to share it? Well, because I've been in this process and having to deal with parental alienation for several years, um, I feel like, I mean, I, I need to share it. Mm-hmm. I feel like because my case has been public, I can help other people because sometimes people don't realize what's going on and have this happening to them. And in my case, I didn't understand at the beginning what was happening. You know, So I feel like um, it's important to share. It's a tragedy that affects millions of Americans and, and people internationally. Um, and so my hope is that by sharing what happened in my case and is actually still happening, um, that I can help other people uh, learn more about it, get more involved, and hopefully get people um, pretty outraged and involved to stop this from happening um, just nationally, you know. Are there any hard numbers, Kelly, as to how many people are impacted and affected by this? Well, what I do know is that there's about a million divorces a year. Mm-hmm. And of those million divorces, I think it's like 80, 876,000 divorces, that something like 10 to 15% of that is high-conflict high divorces. If you bear in mind that a divorce in these instances, when it involves children, doesn't really end and begin at the divorce, that there's often um, custody litigation that happens after the divorce is even finalized, as in my case, for example. Um, then you're dealing with, you know, like I said, millions of people. Um, there's, if you look on like Facebook or the internet, I mean, there's all kinds of groups about it across the country and in different countries and different countries have even passed legislation to try and stave it off like Brazil and Mexico. So. All right. Take us through, if you would, um, what exactly is happening? What's going on with your case? Well, I don't know. I assume that you obviously have a really informed audience. I was listening to some of the comments before and the discussion before, and I assume that probably some of them have likely heard about my case. Mm-hmm. I mean, I filed for divorce uh, with Alex uh, over, gosh, oh, four years ago or close to four years ago, I guess in December of 2013, and our divorce was finalized in 2015 after, you know, millions of dollars of staying in this and, and losing most custody of my children. So I've, I had less custody than drug dealers and, uh, and criminals and things like that. Um, I, I was able to get a jury trial because in Texas, we're one of the, I think we're the only state or one of the only states that allows a jury trial in custody cases. And the jury came back. Tended to that the children should live primarily with me, and um, horrifically, if you can believe this, it's almost been a month later, and very much, um, I think, contrary to what the the court should have already done. The kids are still with um, my ex-husband. Like, nothing has changed in my custody situation. And the thing about parental alienation, Bob, is that it's child abuse. I mean, it is severe emotional abuse to the child. And so... Um, that's, I'm really trying to get the word out about the fact that the children haven't come home. Uh, they're in the thick of the alienation, it's obvious. And 
Uh, you had asked me about alienation, so just to help people understand it a little bit more, would you like me to go through some of the strategies? Please. That, okay, so some of the things that there, – there's 17 primary parental alienation strategies, um, you know, starting with bad-mouthing where they're directly saying, you know, mom's done this or she's this or whatever, either directly to the child or through an open door or discussion with another friend or family member in front of the children – then um, they do such things as limiting contact. So in my case, I had the custody of my son. Uh, he was supposed to be coming for visitation, and he missed something like, you know, uh, months of visits he wasn't provided for, right? And then when I was trying to call them, I was never able to speak to them on the phone, or if I was, the father was in the room. Um, then, you know, basically... Um, What's important to understand about parental alienation is, you know, if you see a child rejecting a parent, it's counterintuitive to think that, you know, you think, wow, something's wrong with that parent, whatever. I mean, abused children never reject a parent or very seldomly do that. Even severely abused children, it's like a very small, small percentile. So um, in my case, you know, and in many cases what happens is people see this and they go, wow that child is rejecting their parent. Well, if a child is rejecting their parent without any apparent reason and without any remorse, that's really a sign of alienation. And there's a lot of other signs of alienation in children, like where they use coach language. Um, they actually will start to use a campaign of denigration or just putting the parent down. Like in my case, you know, I was the, the only parent to my kids pretty much because my ex-husband was frequently absent from the home and very not involved. And I was a homeschool mom part-time. My kids went to a school part-time and were schooled at home part-time. My kids loved me. I mean, I was so close to my children. They adored me. And then I filed for divorce. And the second they started spending more time in my ex-husband's care, not only were they showing up, you know, not physically well, because there was a lot of medical neglect in my case, but they were showing up distressed and agitated and angry and all of a sudden were saying things I never thought I'd hear them say and really rejecting me to the point where, you know, I went from the, the mom, you know, the primary mom, happy at swim team, taking the kids to school, whatever, to six to eight months later, my son saying he hated me and couldn't stand to be with me mm. and not like in, you know, just in passing, mm. you know, and then of course, uh, other things started happening. He started spying on me, recording me at all times. I had like secret recording going on and overt recording going on and um, just a lot of really disturbing behaviors and things happening. Wait a minute. Hang on for a second. Who was spying on you? My son. Your My son, son was, was spying me? Yeah. And, and then later this became at the bequest of uh, an expert involved, and the expert involved in my case has admitted that she lied. I mean, there's a lot of other underlying things in my case that are really concerning. But basically, she was encouraging him to do that, which is obviously so unhealthy. I mean, my child was like, I think, 11 when this first started, you know, a young child who loved his mom. And it's if you think about it, you know, we're animals, we're mammals. We need our moms. We're human animals. It, that maternal bond is so important to children and the paternal. It happens a lot to men, too. It happens to both, you know, mom and dad in these cases. To have that relationship ripped out from under you as a child, and in my case where it was really the only parental relationship they had, uh, I mean, it's just incredibly destructive. It's so hurtful to their 
to to their formative selves, you know, to their that's, psyches. That's got to be just a major, major blow to deal with. We're talking on our program on the fan this hour with Kelly Jones and talking with her about this topic of parental alienation. Radio.com. It is Rick Wolf who's along with the Sports Edge program after our 8 o'clock update on the fan this Sunday morning. Ed Randall is by talking baseball after our 9 o'clock update. We are in a discussion with Kelly Jones on our program. I'm Bob Solter. We're talking about this topic of parental alienation. Um, interesting ideas that you've presented thus far in our discussion, Kelly. And I should mention, too, the fact that um, for folks who are listening to us, if you know, you're on point. You want to join in with the thoughts uh, along the lines of some of the things that Kelly is sharing with us. Why not? 877-337-6666 is our number here at WFAN. When we talk about this topic of parental alienation, one of the things that I had read in preparation for our talk today goes back to something that um, I believe you had phrased in this fashion on the matter of parental alienation, I have come to see that the problem is systemic in nature. What do you mean by that? Um, well, I mean, parental alienation is pervasive uh, in high-conflict divorce. It happens frequently, and, um, I mean, it, you know, the words parental alienation don't really evoke a lot of emotion necessarily if you're not familiar with it. But really, I mean, Bob, it's child abuse. It's like severe emotional abuse to rip one parent out of the life of your child, to, to take the children's relationship with the parent and destroy it. Um, it's frequently a strategy that is engaged in by people with severe personality disorders, such as narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, people are purposely hurting the kids, sometimes just to hurt the other parent. I mean, it is the most toxic uh, thing that can happen in a divorce, or one of the most toxic things, and it's highly concerning. And um, if I can just loop it back again to my case real quick, Bob, mm -hmm. I mean, I had to... So the thing about parental alienation is it's counterintuitive, right? Like uh, somebody who's not trained or doesn't know about it, uh, maybe a teacher or a coach or something like that, they see a child rejecting a parent, right? And maybe they don't know, have a big history about that child. So in my case, my kids had just started a new school. Well, they think, wow, something's wrong with the parent that they're rejecting. But really, children never reject their parents, if they, even if they've been severely abused. Like, there's an expert on my case who's actually from New York. Her name is Linda Gottlieb, and she testified that she's worked with 3,000 children in the foster care system in New York and like something like only three to five percent of the most severely alien, uh, abused children ever rejected their parent. So it's not a, a normal thing to have happen. In fact, abused children glom onto their abuser because that's what keeps them safe. So they'll they'll um, they'll align with their abuser. They'll they'll do what their abuser um, needs uh, them to do in order for them to stay safe and. You can almost look at it, Bob, like a kind of Stockholm Syndrome in many cases. These kids are captives. They've been taken away from a loving parent. Um, in my case, you know, almost entirely taken away for years. 
And um, in that situation, the child would do whatever they have to to stay safe. So they'll say whatever they need to say. And in my case, and this is actually another thing that happens frequently, you know, they'll even make up false accusations, which they'll later refute, you know. But these accusations empower the other parent to further limit contact, and it's sort of this um, never-ending loop of uh, just abuse and alienation. And and it's, it's very tough. Uh, to show in court. I think that my case that just happened, you know, the jury victory in April 27th um, was a victory for families across this country uh, for raising awareness about parental alienation. The majority of my trial was based on the fact that parental alienation did occur, that we showed it, that um, parental alienation is abuse. And yet still, I mean, in the court system, unbelievably, my children are still not back home. So I won primary parent and they're not home. Um, Bob, if it's okay, I've, I've launched a website to raise awareness about that and I'm trying to get people to petition the judge to return the children out of this abusive environment. What's the website? It's givethekidsback.com. Really simple. Givethekidsback.com. Um, and basically I go through, you know, my trial, my, my case, in which, you know, interestingly enough, there were a lot of serious evidentiary rulings that prohibited very strong evidence about just the general nature of my ex-husband, you know, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, raging, ranting, you know, engaging in, in hate speech, kind of, um, that didn't even come before the jury. But what they did rule on was the parental alienation and medical neglect that happened. So if he had been found to be hitting them or berating them, they would be, that's abuse, and people would be outraged. Well, this is abuse. My kids have been shown to have been alienated by him. Their relationship is being blocked currently by Alex. Alex has filed a motion for uh, to have the jury verdict set aside, and he's motioning, he's planning to motion for a new trial. Um, these kids need out of there. You know, they've been in years of litigation, and I saw them last night at a performance, and they're not really even allowed to come say hello to me when he's with them. And it's just sick. It's a it's an unhealthy situation. It's uh, you know, first of all, my first thought is probably what a lot of people uh, are listening will think. And I'm just going to say it. That's crazy. I mean, it sounds like it just just a crazy situation. All right, um, and to have to live through that. I mean, the whole court experience and getting to the point of getting that jury decision. I mean, how grueling was that for you? Let me just tell you, I had no idea that what happened to me and my kids and my family could happen. And one of the very first things Alex texted me, you know, that people knew he texted me was, you have no idea what my lawyers are going to do to you in court. I mean, my ex-husband has endless resources and is incredibly powerful, has his own media mega presence, right? I had no idea that this could happen. I had no idea that experts could be manipulated or that um, that anybody would, you know, the original agreement in my case that Alex agreed to and was for me to be the primary parent and for him to have the kids every other weekend, and he wasn't even using that time. I had no idea that people get involved. You know, I think um, if you're mentally ill or have serious personality problems, I mean, greedy lawyers can get their hooks into you and keep the conflict amped up. And I really feel like that's what happened with Alex. Like, he's not, um, he's he's very angry and enraged against me for leaving. And so he's used this as his 
this sort of vengeance. And rather than the people that could have helped him and our family helping them, he, he they kept him amped up. And that is a sickness that's just in the court, you know. Unfortunately, in family court, sometimes people, they profit off of people's grief. And unfortunately, that's what happened in my case. You know, as you're talking, and I'm sure there are people who are listening to this discussion who have been through similar situations. And one of the reasons why I mentioned that if somebody wants to, they can join us um, on the phone. You know, as they listen to the situation, <clears throat> I think what it must take, first of all, to go through this to the level where you are now, but yet you're also, from what it sounds like, facing who knows how much more time of potential litigation before a judge, maybe even before another jury situation. The question that has to be going through your mind is when does this end? You know, uh, thank you, Bob. That's very true. But really, it did end is the problem. The real problem is that the court has not effectuated the jury's verdict. And why not? I have no idea. I mean, it's a very unusual situation. Normally, the kids would have come home the very next day. And instead of doing that, we're waiting a month while the children are being increasingly alienated or abused, you know, emotionally abused. I mean, I I have my ex-husband sending over special phones for the kids when they come on their limited visitation. I have, you know, supposedly primary custody of my son. I've seen him one time, um, excluding the performance last night. I saw him there, but I didn't really talk to him. But I've seen him one time since the jury's verdict. It's highly unusual. I mean, it's it's concerningly unusual, as were the evidentiary rulings in this case. I mean, I don't think the case should be where it is at all. I'm trying to give the court, you know, respect and, and say, I hope and anticipate that you'll rule according to the Texas Family Code. Unfortunately, that has not yet happened. I mean, we're dealing with a situation that's extreme. And again, Bob, that's why I'm going to just go ahead and if you, if you bear with me here and let me just let people know that the, there's a lot of facts about my case because it is complicated that they can understand and, and read the petition to the judge saying, go ahead, the jury, a jury of these people's peers spoke. The, the, the people spoke. They said the kids need to go home to mom. Judge, send them home. Give the kids back. And it's givethekidsback.com. A number of thoughts with that I want to follow on um, in just a little bit, but I also want to see if we can work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. As I had a feeling this might strike a chord with some of those folks, too. WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It is brought to you by Mohegan Sun, Connecticut, Mohegan Sun, Pocono, and Resorts Atlantic City. Let's start on the phone with uh, Wally in Huntington, who's been holding for a while. Wally, thanks for calling. Good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, and thank you very much for having this topic today. Most people don't really realize it exists. Uh, I have a, a case that's probably on one one respect not as bad, and another respect worse. Um, before my divorce, about two years, my daughter came to me and said that if anything happened, she'd want to live with me in the house. Uh, my one son wanted to live with me. My other son didn't want to make a choice. Um, my my uh, ex found out in court about the situation. And then after that, we were living in the same house. She went into my daughter's room every every so often and closed the door. And my daughter then would would be uh, reluctant to get out of bed, became depressed, 
had to go to a psychiatrist to take antidepressants. And eventually my daughter then said that she didn't want to live with me. She wanted to live with the mother. It was very apparent about what had happened. And the, there was a guardian involved who, who understood it. My daughter's therapist understood it. Mm-hmm. And yet it just went on and on and on. My one son still wants to be with me. And uh, my, my um, other son is actually afraid of his mother. He's afraid to disappoint her. And what happened is now I have the children half time, but she is always trying to get them to go to her on my days, doing things to, to upset them so that they have to make, make a choice on, on that day. So, uh, Sending them text, oh, I made stew tonight. Would you want to come over when it's my day? So it, it's terrible. My daughter, thank God, went away to college and came back. And she's a little, she's, we had a wonderful relationship, my daughter and I. And now she's at the point now where she's coming back towards me because she's gotten away from her mother by going away to college. But it's a terrible thing. She's still on antidepressants. She had panic attacks in school. It was absolutely horrible what this poor child has gone through. Oh, man. Wally, I'm so sorry for what you've gone through. I'm so sorry for what you've gone through, Wally. I mean, I, you know, we hear about these stories across the country and, I think the thing that that helps us get through this is to know that we're not alone, that there's a tremendous community of people that experience alienation. I mean, it is a it is a, a thing that happens frequently, and I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter. I mean, the antidepressants, the psychiatrist, that's the thing, is that it's emotional abuse. And, I mean, we're dealing with uh, kids that can develop even suicidal ideologies, you know, very fractured sense of self, and it's incredibly tough. And what I heard you talking about with your ex-wife is these one of the manipulations. So you're with your child on your time, and she's trying to entice the other child to come over, making promises or doing things of that nature. I mean, that's a kind of blocking of, of custody or encouraging you, the targeted parent, you know, well, to be betrayed. Exactly. Right? My, my, she would, she'll take them for the checkups, never contact me about it, tell me what happened or anything like that. I have to ask my children because she won't talk to me. She just refuses to talk to me, and it's a shame because the kids are obviously in the middle, and when they come to my house and be with me, we fool around, we laugh, we have a good time, they're more relaxed, and then they get tense when they have to go back to the other house. So there's obviously things happening all the time. Exactly. Wally, thank you for your call. I'm sorry about the situation. Thank you. Certainly good luck. Continue the terrible situation shared with us. Kelly Jones is talking with us this hour of our program on The Fan. Radio.com. We're in a discussion with Kelly Jones and talking with her about this topic of parental alienation. Uh, she's mentioned a website that she has at uh, Give the Kids Back. That's all as one word. dot com. Get find out information about um, her case and exactly uh, what is going on. What I said we would do as well is to try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six is our number. And let's go to Ron in Connecticut, who's been holding for some time. Ron, thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, can the two of you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, I have been through a very similar process. Uh, two years out now in my divorce, uh, I'm on supervised visitation. I guess my question for Kelly is, um, how do you prevent the alienation from perpetuating Um, I know that's like the a million dollar question. Uh, I find that the supervised visitation has helped because there's an audit trail of it for someone to actually witness witness it, uh, who actually can report back to the courts. 
My second question for you is how do you, I mean, I guess it's about the perpetuating. I mean, how do you, how do you sort of shut it down? Because I see it more with my daughter than my boys. We recently had a psych eval done, and they're actually recommending that the boys come off the supervised visitation, which is a good thing. But my daughter is having issues where it's going outside of de- outside of the one-to-one individual relationship with me. It's more of a emotional or behavioral disorder, and I don't want that to get to the point where I always have to have someone watching me with my daughter because you don't know the reaction she's going to come up with. Well, and thank you so much, Ron. I'm so sorry for what you're going through. You know, uh, for people that are listening, they might not even know what supervised visitation is. And just real quick, if I can uh, share, I've been in hundreds of hours of supervised visitation or had been during my case, and supervised visitation is incredibly tough on both the children and the parents because you've got someone there with a clipboard following you around, running your every move. So that's not inherently very conducive to a natural relationship. And in, and frequently they don't record it, so it's sort of what they what they write down. Now, I'm happy to hear, Ron, that in your case, the supervisor is taking note of some of the manifestations of the alienation in your children. Um, that's actually the supervisors in my case uh, were, were quintessential in bringing before the jury, you know, the information that proved that the children were alienated. And in my case, the supervisors really saw it. Unfortunately, the people that they were reporting to uh, summarily ignored it or even, uh, you know, uh, purposefully uh, ignored it. And um, and then that's a problem of the, the convoluted uh, nature of the family court system. I mean, just... Uh, you know, selfishly to tell about my case, the expert in my case told one of the supervisors she didn't want me to get my kids back because then she wouldn't have a job, and she made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, regarding uh, your children, are your boys younger than your daughter? Is that what you're twins saying? 11, twins 11, son 9. Yeah. Boy, girl, be- twins 11, son 9. I must tell you, too, I have... I was on the phone last night with somebody who advocates for the, in this space uh, in Connecticut, and Linda Gottlieb's name did come up, uh, very ironically. Uh, but with my daughter, yes, it, she, she, she. I will see when they are here on the visits. It's it seems to be, you know, they feel a sense of control. My daughter will act out. She will say things. She'll say stuff like, you know. She'll mention things that came up in an adult conversation, and the supervisor has noted that. Uh, she will say things that are fabricated, that have substantiated, that are fabricated, and the supervisor will say, that's simply not true. Um, and so that's the kind of problems I'm having with my daughter. Isn't it horrific? I mean, part of an alienation process is that they create actual false memories. Um, in my case, my ex-husband was encouraging the children to report that they had been even physically abused. And my my daughter was, I think, six years old and would come up and said, Daddy said you threw a book at me, but you didn't. You know, I mean, a little kid trying to process what that could possibly mean. It's horrific. I mean, I think uh, it sounds like you're in good hands if you've been uh, led to Linda Gottlieb. She's an amazing expert. Her website is StopParentalAlienation.com, and it's a great resource for people to understand, you know, the the manifestations of the behaviors uh, in the children, uh, the alienating strategies of the parent. And 
One thing that you can do, Ron, and maybe if it sounds like your supervisor is open to it, is really become familiar with these strategies and behaviors and document your case according to that. Um, if you have things happening in space and time, it's even helpful to maybe document them by creating an email address that you can send that will time code, you know, the occurrence of something that's happened. And again, I would just like to come back to the beginning of this conversation, if I could, Bob, and remind people of what I said, that parental alienation can manifest as a kind of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm -hmm. There's a book written called Children's Health Hostage. I mean, these kids are actually, it's almost like they're kidnapped away from their parents. So what we see in Ron's case is when they're with Ron, they are happy and okay, and then they leave, and they're saying things or accusations and that happened a lot in my case as well. Like my children would even go talk to the court, and then the next day when they were with me would write all over my windows and say, I love you, Mommy, because they know that you love them unconditionally and that they that you understand that they're doing whatever they have to do to stay safe. Yeah, it's, and I also see this when I'm out in a ball field, is that when my ex-wife is around, uh, they will stay away from me. When they're with my ex-in-laws, they will stay away from me. They'll keep a distance. They won't talk to me. Um, that relationship changes when my ex-wife's out of the picture. Now, what's happened is in our psych eval is that the, the uh, assessor has recommended, which is not a great idea, parallel situations at events so that when I'm there, she is not there, and when she's there, I am not there. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that came out of the evaluation in order to reduce this sort of hostility in these public events? Well, I think it depends on how severe the alienation is. But if you've got a severe alienator, which it sounds like your ex-wife could be, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think that lends to, you know, y'all working together. And that's obviously, I mean, I don't know anything about you, but I assume you try to be a good co-parent. You try to create, you know, encourage a relationship in both houses. The alienator isn't going to do this. Like, I experienced this last night at my daughter's performance. You know, the kids won't come over when the dad is there or have to act like they don't want to be with you or whatever it may be. Um, I heard you also say that they're part-time with you and part-time with her. I mean, really, until an alienator can learn not to alienate, it is going to keep the kids in the middle of a nightmare if we have them going from, from one person to another. I mean, parental alienation is child abuse. Now, I'm not saying that kids shouldn't be with both parents. I think they absolutely should. But the phenomenon is real. It needs to be recognized by the court, and the court needs to rule accordingly. And the alienator needs to learn how to not alienate, simply enough. If you had somebody hitting a child or, or berating them, I mean, you wouldn't leave the, the children with that person until they could prove that they could stop doing that. I mean, the alienator is the one who needs to be on supervised visitation. Correct, but if someone refuses co-parenting counseling, if someone refuses to, you know, even, you know, share basic information with you, I only see how that can be rectified in a court system. And unfortunately, as you said, you get into with these prostitutes at the court that take your money, it goes on in perpetuity, <laughs> goes on and on and on, things are continued, and you get to the point where you can't act on it because you'll look like the villain, mm -hmm. but you either have to end, you end up paying into the system that goes on indefinitely. Well, it is uh, an inherently flawed system, and that's actually why I'm speaking out, Ron, because I divorced a notorious talk show host, Alex Jones. My case was all over the news, and I am hoping that the, my case will set a precedent for parental alienated, you know, families across the country. 
I mean, the judge has not ruled yet. I want a jury victory. I mean, they, this is absurd. My kids are living in abuse. Um, and so her ruling can be a case law ruling for families across the country. And I think there's enough expertise out there to show that we need to we can stop alienation and protect children using very simple interventionary methods and and work towards a co-parenting situation. But you know, in your case, I mean, blocking medical information. You know, in my case, very much the same. Didn't even know where the children were the majority of the time. You know. That is another parent with a toxic attitude and an unhealthy attitude that's hurting the children, and they need to be stopped. And the court can learn how to do that. There's a lot of success with programs such as Family Bridges. And they could actually, I mean, I think in my case, if the kids could just come home, if the, if the court would just rule according to the Texas Family Code and let the things happen that the experts are saying need to happen, then, then we can set an example, and hopefully other people can use our case to help um, stop it in their own cases. Ron, thank you very much for your call and your oh, patience on the phone, much. too. Good luck to, as you move forward. Uh, let's see, we have another call here. Um, Mike has been holding in New Jersey for a long time. Thanks for holding on so long, Mike. Welcome to the fan. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I'm calling just to uh, put a light on the effect that these lawyers have on this whole process. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these children and these families don't come up with this past stuff on their own, in my opinion. I think they are schooled by the lawyers who are very familiar with these tactics. The parents are held out like uh, like uh, softballs. And um, I think uh, I can mention the book, I Promise to Ourselves, that was written by Alex Baldwin, which is very informed reading, if anyone cares to. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you for your call and your patience on the phone, too, this morning. Um, any reaction to that? You know, I have to say, I mean, I think that's very astute. I think that, um, you know, it's not always that the lawyers are directly involved with the children. I mean, it's that they have, they see these strategies, they're aware of the parental alienation abuse phenomenon, and they keep their client amped up if they're unscrupulous lawyers, which very clearly happened in my case. But in my case, I mean, Alex's lawyer met my children. I mean, how improper is that you know how bizarre is it for a lawyer to meet children and one of my children was pretty young at the time that's just not even appropriate at all and so another thing that unscrupulous lawyers do is they repeatedly hire the same high dollar experts who will do whatever it takes you know to keep the situation amped up like the one in my situation that said she didn't want me to get my kids back because then she wouldn't have a job and can you imagine the horror of that children are treated as a commodity in the courts as chattel, as something to make money off of. I mean, this is a national tragedy, and parental alienation is sort of uh, this pervasive manifestation of high-conflict, high-dollar divorce. So uh, people should be concerned about it. And, Bob, if I could just, again, let people know that I don't have my kids back yet, even though a jury of our peers ruled that they should should have been home that day or the next day. And so um, I just encourage anybody that would want to learn more about my case and about parental alienation to visit my website, givethekidsback.com. How have you personally held it together during all of this? Well, I tell you what is ironic. So um, I have, uh, my ex-husband is sort of known for being out of his head and enraged and out of control. He has had to participate in less than 10 hours of therapy. I have had to participate in the equivalent of 40 years of therapy, almost 800 hours of therapy. And, but really, so that has helped me. I've learned a lot of just 
coping with distress, sort of the serenity prayer, you know, let me deal with this well. But really, I mean, I, I believe in God. God has held me up and, and kept me strong through this. If I didn't have faith, I wouldn't be here. And, of course, the love for the children, right? I'm never going to turn my back on my kids. I say, you know, people would fight a tiger for their kids. This is just another tiger, you know. It's just a, a an ugly, invisible tiger that's hard to show. But you can show it. You can shine the light on it. And there it is. It's called parental alienation and it's child abuse. All right. Let me ask the question some people probably are thinking, because I am. How do you fight anger? Uh, anger against the other parent? Mm-hmm. or Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I turn back to faith. You know, I I look at forgiveness and love as something that can cover everything. I mean, it's normal to get angry when your child is taken away or is being uh, turned away from you. Uh, what what has helped me is actually seeing, um, you know, it's, it, I wish I didn't have to see it, but my children's own distress and how they changed and how they became, you know, cruel or hurtful. Because hurt people hurt people. And if you can really look at the alienator as somebody who's sick and toxic and and just really hope that, you know, the people in place will help that person, that can sure help a lot, you know. I mean, they're, they're, what Alex isn't well. What he's done is a sickness. Abuse is sickness. Child abuse is horrible. Parental alienation is horrible, you know. I, I have to live in faith and forgiveness. Otherwise, I wouldn't survive this. And what do you see the future holding for you? I mean, I have a, a hearing on May 30th. I have a petition up. I'm trying to get people from across the country to sign it. I mean, the judge is is obliged to rule according to the Texas Family Code. I see the kids coming home. I've asked for a very brief intervention with the children so that they can heal from the alienation and Alex can learn not to alienate. And uh, I think with that, I mean, my bond with my children is strong. I think if people would just get behind them and, and encourage them to be with me, they'd want to be here. And, I mean, I have, you know, they love me. I'm a great mom. And, uh, I mean, we're just a, I'm just a normal mom. I'm not a perfect mom, right? But my kids love me. Our kids love us. So I, I have hopes for the future for sure. But I can't stand litigation for any longer, neither can my kids. So the court needs to give the kids back. It's an amazing story. Um, your website is givethekidsback.com. You also mentioned Linda Gottlieb's website of stopparentalalienation.com. The topic we've been talking about is parental alienation with Kelly Jones on our program on The Fan. Kelly, thank you very much for taking the time that you have and sharing your thoughts and also speaking with folks who uh, called in and joined the discussion, too, this morning. Thank you. Very kind of you to have me on. Thank and you so much. Good luck as you move forward, too. Thank you. Very interesting uh, program and um, discussion on um, this hour of the program, as I thought it would be. I also thought, frankly, we would spark the attention and interest of some of the folks listening to us. Well, speaking of your attention and interest, it is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf that follows Dave's Top of the Hour update. And then your attention and interest will be ramped up even more. Ed Randall will be by. You know what he'll be talking at 9. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.